you have chocolate on your teeth. And that's what marriage is, is me telling you that. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Guys, breaking news. Barry eats chocolate while we record the podcast. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry Liga. And I'm Morgan Baden. Let's get started. So, we have a lot to talk about. Do we? I feel like we always have a lot to talk about. I don't know. I feel like we collapse on the couch after full days of kids and writing and turn on Stranger Things. That's why we have so much to talk about on the show, because we're so busy <laughs> being days. collapsed. You're right, you're right. But let's talk about being collapsed on the sofa watching Stranger Things. Let, okay, let's, sure. Let's talk about that, because since we've sort of come back from our self-imposed year-long hiatus, yeah. we've talked about our writing and, and that sort of thing, and what we're working on, and our collaboration, and the book that's coming out mm-hmm. soon, The Hive, on sale September 3rd, 2019, buy it, pre-order it. Um, but we have not talked a lot about the other two areas of this podcast, which are parenthood and marriage. Right. So marriage, how's that going? How, how's that working out for you? I mean, I guess it's what I signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, marriage is very funny. And also, I just finished Fleischman is in Trouble. You're bringing is, it back to books again. I am, because it's a book all about marriage and divorce. Yeah. And... Wait, wait, wait. Divorce? Hang on, hang on. <laughs> it's, and uh, like, first of all, I absolutely loved this book. It is absolutely worth all of the hype that it has gotten, and it deserves more if you ask me. Um, but it gives, it gave me so much to think about, and also there were just a lot of moments where I found myself like nodding in agreement and shouting from bed as I read it. Uh, I read several passages aloud to you over the past few days. They were all about castrating your husband (laughs) um anyway it's just funny marriage is such an interesting beast of a thing (laughs) so that that's your feeling on marriage marriage is okay because you read a good book about it no i didn't say okay i said marriage is a beast of a thing oh okay and this book really um crystallized a lot of my feelings around marriage folks i don't know where i don't know where we're headed on this podcast (laughs) this might be our last episode Looking at me with a very this, scared expression on this your face. This might end up being a podcast about writing, publishing, divorce, and co-parenting. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously though. Um, I mean, what a weird question. How's marriage going? I don't know. Well, it's been a year. We figured we should so, uh, check in for people. It's been a year, not since we've been married, but right. since we've had since the we've, podcast. We've talked yes. about anything on the podcast. In that year, you know what we haven't talked about yet is our five-year anniversary trip to the Amalfi Coast. That is true. That's part of marriage. See, there you go. Mm-hmm. I knew something would come up eventually if we just kept talking. Yeah. Yes, we did. We uh, w- One of the things we did while we were on hiatus was we took a whole week. Uh, it was like nine Actually, days. Actually, it was like nine days, yeah. yeah. And we went to the Amalfi Coast. Without the children. Without the kids. We left them wandering around the airport. Figured they'd be okay till we got back. Um, and that was wonderful. Uh, it was incredibly relaxing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I, I really... It was we, like better than our honeymoon. Oh, absolutely. The, as a trip, it was absolutely. better than our honeymoon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, well, one reason is that, to bring parenthood into this, yeah. is that... 
our honeymoon, we, we weren't really getting away from anything. No, it was, yeah. It was uh-huh. a few days getting away from work, which, uh-huh. you know, we were Fine. married and we could have gotten away from work anytime we wanted. Uh-huh. And we and we did yeah. often, you know, not often, but we would take vacations or go away or take a day off or whatever. Yeah. Um, this time we, we were running away not just from work, <laughs> but also from our, our children whom we love and adore. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but it, it was, it was nice and it was, it was really nice to, to connect just as individual married people yeah. who are on a trip and not, right. and to have really, you know, it, it was both good and bad that there was literally nothing we could do about the kids. Like we were so far away. <laughs> yeah. Even if, you know, heaven forbid, heaven forbid, there, forbid had been there had been an emergency. Yeah. It would have been like 12 hours before we could have been some like best case scenario Uh before we could have been there to do anything about it. So we had to just sort of let go of that. Right. And, and just trust that your mother who was staying with the kids Uh would be able to handle anything that came up. And of course she did quite ably. And, uh, but I remember sitting in the, in the lounge at the airport with you on our way, on our way, our first leg of our flight to Belgium. And you were sitting in the lounge and you just, you went and got a drink right away. Oh. And it was like, it was like, here we go. Like, I, I, I'm just connecting. I am drinking Well, right I now. mean, listen, when you fly first class and then you've got access to the fancy lounge, yeah. you have to take advantage well, of that. Well, you do. I mean, the drinks are free, <laughs> so you got to drink them. We should point out, we are not, we're not rich people, but <laughs> we saved up for quite a while because we knew if we were flying overseas, we were not going to yeah. fly economy. So yeah, we, we flew business class. This was a, a very splurgy trip. Yes. And, and you know, one, one of those things you do every 10 years, if you're yeah, lucky. Yeah. Um, and, and I do remember when we got the, the bill for all uh-huh. of the things, literally the airfare was 50% of the entire right. trip. Like yeah. that's how, how much it costs. We could have spent so much less, but we just couldn't imagine doing this any other way. Those, those flights are amazing. Yeah. Um, but seriously, the, you know, one of the things that I really like about, date nights and obviously vacations and obviously the vacation is a much you know grander uh version of the date night is that it reminds me that i like you i thank you do you know what i mean like outside of kid i mean i like you with the kids too but but this idea of like when uh, you know the the normal hubbub of every day there's a lot to do there's a lot of um you know, the essentials of yep. just living your life, your yep. administration um, of life with children. And when you don't have to do that, whether it's for a couple of hours or for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, you just get to connect with each other right. as a, on a on the, the original level it, that it you is, first connected. It's good to remember, oh, yes, I chose this person. For a reason. And I'm not just stuck with this person because we reproduced. Right, right. You know, yeah. like like they're like this is what this is the person I want. Right. This is this is the person I want to be with. Um, you know, for good or for ill, for better uh-huh, or for worse, yeah. till, in sickness and in health and all that. Yeah. Um it, it's good to remember that and not just have that sense of of oh right, there's somebody to hold the screaming one while I clean up the dirty one. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um because it can feel like that sometimes. It, it can, can. It can yeah. just feel like it just boils down to thank God there's another set of hands. Exactly. Thank yeah. God there's another adult in the room. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's good. It, it, I agree that that's a really important, yeah. important point. What do you want to say about marriage? I, I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> um, you know, I enjoy, I, I enjoy the, the domesticity of it. Yeah. You've said stuff along that, those lines before that has really stuck with me over the years. Um, this idea that the the sort of general life administration that has to happen, like the household administration that has to happen when you have kids um, or just a, and a marriage, 
you do you find that satisfying? Yeah, I mean it, it's you know it, it's one of those the small accomplishments throughout the yes, day. You know, yeah. oh, I emptied the dishwasher. That's Check. done. Yeah. I threw the laundry in. That's done. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, you said that to me once um, a long time ago. I think after the birth of our first daughter, when I was probably complaining about like washing the bottles, which I'm sure we can agree was a terrible chore. Oh my God. It was so annoying. <laughs> and then especially when our son was on formula, like prepping those formula bottles, which is the worst. Oh my God. Remember I, we bought a special pitcher. Yes. We probably still have it. Cause he needed, he needed this special formula cause he would spit up constantly. Uh-huh. So we had this special, we had this special pitcher so we could mix up like four bottles at once. And, uh, and every night I would sit there and, and use this special yep. mixing pitcher to uh, to mix up four bottles at once and then yeah it was crazy. Yeah. Anyway, you once said something like that to me and it really changed my outlook on that those kind of kinds of tasks, which has stuck with me ever since. So thank you for oh, that. Well, you're welcome. I, I you know I you know I like you too. You, know, you said <laughs> that before, and I, and I think that's important because it can be very easy to uh, to fall into sort of the the roommate trap. Yeah, for sure. You know, when you're married and when you have kids and when you're both very busy, you can very easily fall into Well, you, know, you can fall into the roommate trap, you can also fall into the like annoying roommate trap. Right. You know, of like not only do I just have a roommate, but he does the following and it is very annoying to me, you right, know. So right. so it's nice yeah. to move out of that. So, marriage going well. <laughs> I'm sure that the folks at our publisher will be very happy to know because it's a whole different way to promote the book if we're not married yeah, anymore. Yeah, right. Oh my god. Um, but uh, anyway, so let's move on to kids. Sure. The kids. Oh. It's been a year since everybody has heard about the kids. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I was listening to some of the episodes from right before we we went off the air. Yeah. And uh, and it's just funny because they were they were so little and, and they weren't doing nearly the funny interesting things that yeah. they do yet. Um, the other day, and and I can't decide if this is a triumph for me as a parent <laughs> or a complete failure as a human being. The other <laughs> or day, a little of both. The other day, and you were sitting closer to him when it happened, but we both looked at each other in shock when it did. Our son, who is about two and a half years old, yeah. wanted us to play a song on the HomePod. And he has, he has seen us each and his big sister say to the HomePod, you know, play, play this song, play Space Unicorn. That's the song they really like. We'll link to it in the show notes. We, oh, it's we fun. will absolutely link to it in the show notes, people. <laughs> no one in this family can stop singing it. So. I, it's, yeah, it's, it's the worst earworm. But, uh, but anyway, so he starts pointing at the HomePod saying, Unicorn, Unicorn. And then, <laughs> and then he lifted his little wrist up to his mouth as if he were wearing an Apple Watch and said, Hey, Siri. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Amazing. It was, I mean, I think our jaws both hit the floor. Yeah. Um, it, he, it was truly the funniest. He clearly sees me do that. Constantly. Way too often. Constantly. Way yeah. too often. But he understood. He made the connection like, oh, I want to hear music. Yeah. This is how dad makes the music happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was, it was pretty great. Yeah. So the kids now are four and a half and two and a half. Oh my God. They're huge. They, they are huge. And also so little. And... You know, I had to carry Leia the other day 
for just for a few minutes. And I was like, what? No, uh-huh. no, no. There, get it down. Should, it should yeah. be a law. Like once you're four and a half, you don't get carried anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I did trick her the other day. Her, her favorite thing to do when she doesn't want to do something, she will pick a body part related to whatever the task yes. is and tell you that it's too tired. It's too tired. So we were walking back home the other day and she said, daddy, my legs are too tired to walk. Mm-hmm. And she said it a couple times. So I, I had her do some stretches. <laughs> Genius. And then I said, how's that feel? And then she took off running. Oh, and I was, my god! And I was like, I can't believe that worked. I can't either. But we're at the point now where, like, literally, when she's getting out of the car, and we'll say, grab your cup, like yeah. your, your water cup. And she'll say, oh, my hands are too tired. My Can hands you? are too tired to hold things. My hands are tired of holding things. I mean, she is really hilarious. Oh, God. They are so funny. Yes. Um, but they're doing great. We have a lot of a lot of changes on the horizon. Yeah, and we'll talk about them as as they happen. But yes. um, our daughter our daughter will be going into a, a pre K program. Yeah, in the fall, um, our son is going to be starting speech therapy yeah. in a couple of weeks. Yep. So there's lot there's lots happening. Lots going on. Yeah, yeah. we will keep you all informed. So you are you are famous. For many things. Okay. One of which is being a social media expert. <laughs> uh-huh. You laugh, but... I laugh because... But, but that is true. Yeah. And I am wondering, you know, authors are told, you know, to have a social media platform, to have a presence, to do this, to do that. My, my story with social media began because before my first book even came out, I was at Book Expo and uh, my publicist said to me, so are you on MySpace? Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. This was like 2006, I guess. And I went, what the hell is MySpace? Uh, She's like, all the kids are are on it. I mean, truly, you didn't know what it was? I mean, I'd sort of had a vague inkling, but... That surprises me, just from a technology perspective. Yeah, I mean, social media was not something that interested me. Yeah. Um, And you have to remember, too, 2006, the iPhone hadn't even come out yet. Wow. So, yes, I was interested in technology, but to me, technology was a computer on a desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, gadgets weren't a thing yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were a thing, but they weren't, they hadn't exploded. So, you know, my interest in that sort of thing hadn't really been juiced yet. Mm -hmm. I literally still remember some of my MySpace quotes. Oh, God. Because you could put a quote underneath your name. Yeah, And this was at the time. Mulder, it's me. No. Actually, probably. Yeah. Um, but this was also like the height of Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton fame. Oh, God. And there was a, a quote that Lindsay Lohan had, which was, be adequate, because she didn't know what adequate meant. Oh. And she, I think she thought, like, you know, the general consensus is that she thought it meant, like, great. Right. Be your best self. Right. Be best. Um, and so I put be adequate as my quote. <laughs> For a while. You were so edgy. So edgy. What a, what a sick burn. <laughs> I know, right? Anyway, that, that's how I started in social media. Um, huh, okay. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering now, you know, th- there's been some blowback on that recently. There have been some articles about people saying, no, you know, social media, you know, don't do it if you don't have to, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering what you think. You know, there are authors, obviously, who are very successful without social media or who came, or who came to great success without social media and then went to social media. Sure. But do you think that's possible anymore for a new author to yes. find great success? Really? I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You do. I still think at the end of the day, the work stands on its own. Yeah. Um, and I also think if you're looking at, uh, certainly there are different definitions of success, right? If you're looking at 
success as in is the book itself selling well and or winning awards and or reaching the readers it needs to reach. Right. Then I think social media has absolutely nothing to do with it. If you're looking at success as did this author gain name recognition? Did this author make a lot of connections with other authors or important industry pros? Did you know that kind of stuff that are less focused on the work itself and more on networking and reputation? Then yeah, sure, social is absolutely important. But I guess I'm looking at and, you know, obviously the, the issue here is how do you define success? Yeah. And we could talk for hours about that. But I think to me, certainly an element of success is are, are you able to move on? In other words, it's possible for a book to be a success without the author being a success. A book can, can sure. hit everybody it needs to hit, can get to the audience that it needs, and yet do poorly enough that the author doesn't get the chance to publish anymore. And I guess what I'm saying is, is it possible, let, let's put it this way, is it possible to build a career as an author without social media? Yeah, here's the thing. I hope the answer is yes. Yeah, that's that's probably the best answer you could give. Yeah. Um, I, I would hate to think that that a requirement for success in any field, other than social media itself, yeah. would be that you have to have a social media presence, that you have to be good at it. You know, um, well, and those are two different things, sure, too, of sure. course, um, especially now, like it's such a toxic place. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. of most most networks I mean, are so toxic. God, I remember when I started on Twitter, it was so much so fun. fun. It was fun. Every day I would post, I would just post a, ra- a random question, a YA question. Mm. And it would just be something like, if you were going to be stuck on a desert island with a one YA character, who would it be and why? Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, people only had 140 characters to answer, yeah. you know, and, and you get some fun answers, yeah. you know, and stuff like, you know, which YA author would you want to go to the prom with? And mm-hmm. just, you know, just, just, that was it. And it was fun. And I had a lot of engagement because there were only five people on Twitter, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and it was really cool and it was fun and interesting. And now yeah. it's, it's analytics and, yeah. and, and venom brands. and brands and just, and obviously politics and yeah. horrible news, which right. we need all of that. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's not the same. So anyway, so my answer is I, I hope so. Okay. Um, and I'm sure there are multiple people doing like research projects yeah. and papers on this very idea. I would love if anybody out there in the audience can think of a contemporary author who has built a career is publishing regularly and does not either doesn't have a social media platform or sort of doesn't use it for engagement. Yeah. Like a lot of people have a Twitter account just cause they need to have their name out there. Right. Yeah. And all they ever do is tweet new book out you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and they don't do anything else. Yeah. Um, so, so basically we're looking for a successful author yeah. who is not actively participating in social media, right. who was not, in existence before the rise of social. Right, right. So, you so can, not so, Suzanne right. Collins. Suzanne Collins famously did not, not Stephen do King. That. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so yeah, let us know if you if you can hear that. Um, th- this topic interests me because it, it ties in with something else, which I will talk about after the music. Uh, I, I read a little while ago uh, on the on a website called High Snobiety, which 
saying it out loud, it sounds like gibberish, but if you look at it, it's it's a portmanteau of high society and snobbery. Right. And it's which is great and I kind of love that and I'm disappointed I didn't come up with it first. <laughs> but it it's a it's a, an article about um there's been a study done that shows that the most important element in an artist's success, and this is literally artists, like like painters, um, but I'm sure we could apply it to other forms of art. The most important element to their success was not the quality or the originality of their art, but rather who they knew. <laughs> they went back, they looked at Picasso, for example, and they found that it was basically, it was the people he knew that got him to such fame. Right. And that's what makes me think about social media and why, you know, is, is it necessary? Do we have to have these networks? Is that, right. is that the true path to success or, or fame or notoriety mm. as, as an artist? Um, it's one thing to speculate on that. It's another thing to sort of have it proven. <laughs> that, that, and it makes you think about all the people who are, are geniuses in their field who just don't have the right connections. Yeah. Yep. So what do you think of that? Well, for starters, this article... I mean, the study, didn't it specifically look at artists of a particular generation? Yes. 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 Okay. Obviously, the world was different back sure. then. Um, so, I, I want to give that caveat. <laughs> that I'm sure it's, uh, you know, I don't think the same thing could be 100% proven today. Um, but, of course, of course, who you know is equally or sometimes more important than what you know or what you produce. And I, I mean, I feel like you're looking at me as though to make a, a judgment call on that. And I, and I can't because we are humans and we sure. are social creatures and we gravitate towards who we know and we want to. I just, I, this was interesting to me because a lot of times, especially with people who are, are trying to get published yeah. and have not been able to, they very much have the attitude of a, of, well, it's because I don't know the right people. Right, sure. I don't, I don't yeah. know the right people. You know, I, I get asked a lot, who did you know? Yeah. Who did you know? And the answer was, I, I didn't really know anybody at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think, I feel like this story sort of lends some credence to that. And of I course, think, yeah. And I think the importance of social media sort of lends credence to this notion that is sort of drifting out there in, in the world that that it doesn't matter how good you are, it matters you how know. well you tweet or who yeah. you know, or, or any of those things that aren't about the art itself. Yeah. And, and I think what interested me most about this particular study was that it was from, I think it was the 1920s. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that's not a new thing. No, of course it's not. not. Yeah. It's not new. Yeah. Like this is, this is how it has been for a very, very long time. Yeah. It disappoints me because I want to think it's all about the work, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I really do. Um, I mean, listen, I still think, call me a Pollyanna, but I still think you can build a reputation. You can become popular in whatever circle industry you're trying to make it in. And that can open up doors for you in tons of ways, but it still has to fall back on the work. Like maybe writer X gets a gazillion opportunities because they know a whole bunch of other writers or they're famous on Twitter or whatever, but maybe those opportunities so, like, the door is being opened, but maybe that author is failing every time a publisher asks for a sample chapter or something like Do you know right. what I mean? Like, so they're getting lots of opportunities, but not necessarily getting gigs at the end of the day. But you can see this play out in, like, the problem with diversity in literature, for example. Exactly. So, like, the opportunities are going to people who know people, and if you're one of the, what is it, 80% 
white people <laughs> in the publishing industry right. and the majority of your networks are white, well, that then goes to show and that's not why just, we have a problem. That's also not just in terms of whose books get published, but also who gets the editorial jobs, who gets the marketing who gets hired, jobs, who, yeah. gets, who gets hired, yeah, because, uh, because the, the, the industry is, is so white. This, uh, this this interested me, too, because then it, this ties into another thing, which not just in terms of, of presence on social media, but also what, what we now call what old world media, um, traditional. traditional media, whatever the term is. And again, it's who you know and who decides to talk about you that mm-hmm. can often determine your, um, your, your trajectory. There was a story in the New York Times recently about a new father mm-hmm. who... And and the way this was, we'll put a link to the story in the show notes, but the way it was described was with the birth of his daughter, he was spending a year every day writing a new children's book. So 365 children's books in the first year of, in his, the daughter's first life. Year of his daughter's life. And this was his gift to his daughter. Yeah. And... At first, I was extraordinarily snarky about Me this. Me too. And I I, I... I looked at this and I said, you know, this sounds like a guy who has figured out how not to do any childcare. Right. Because he tells his wife, I can't help with the kid tonight. I'm making I'm this gift. I'm writing the book, sweetie. You have to, you have to do this. Um, I did have a very ungenerous read yeah. of the headline. And then I read the story itself. Mm-hmm. And... He's a very interesting guy. This yeah. is an Australian guy. He's like an oysterman uh, and a bunch yeah, of like other... an oyster farmer. Yeah, but he's he... also published some novels. Right. He's published a couple of novels before this, um, and and he uh, he's like fifty two, so yeah. he's a very late dad. And, uh-huh. he, and he talks about how you know most of his life he just sort of wandered, and he figured he would wander until he died alone. Mm-hmm. And he didn't sound sad about that. Just sort of resigned yeah. to that was what his life would be. And then late in his life, he met with this woman, and they had a baby, and now he's got this this domestic life, and it's nothing like he ever expected. And out of the, the fulsomeness of his joy, he's he's writing right. these stories. And so I, I felt differently about yeah, it after I read that. It was really, I thought, really sweet. Yeah. And then I thought about it some more. Okay. And I got annoyed. Okay. And here's why I got annoyed. Sure. Because I don't think he's doing anything extraordinary. No, and yet he's the not. New York Times covered him. Yes. And they talked a lot about how, you know, he's published a couple of novels before, but nobody has offered to publish these stories. And I'm like, And they well, linked to I'm a like, couple of them. Right. And they linked to more than a couple. They yeah. linked to about a dozen of them. And I'm like, well, now somebody's going to offer because right. he's been in the New York Times. Right. So it started to feel a little cynical to me. Yeah. And I read a couple of them and I was like, they're okay. That's how I felt. Yeah. And they're not like, they're not, you know, when you say writing a children's book every day, that feels like an achievement and accomplishment. Yeah. At the most, what he has done is written possibly the first draft of scripts for picture books. Every or day. like little poems. Little poems or yeah. little vignettes or little flash fictions. Yeah. Which like and, cute. Which is fine. But really he's basically blogging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's basically blogging. And, and before yet, that he's writing letters that his daughter will open up when she's right, sixteen or whatever. Right. Yeah. And 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 so it annoyed me because the way it was presented to the world was, holy crap, this new dad is writing a book every right. day yeah. for his daughter. And and, and and that gives you an expectation. Yes. And again, now that is, you know, and this guy has written books before. He's he's hip to how publishing yeah, works. Uh-huh. He understands this. Yeah. And so he managed to get some attention. He managed to get a reporter who found him interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe the reporter's a friend of a friend. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's who he knows. I Again, I am sure that somewhere out there in the world, there is a dad or a mom doing the same thing. 
maybe doing it better. Right. Who is getting no attention course, at all. Of course. Because they were not able to get into the New York Times. Right. Yeah. And they're not going to get the book deal that this guy's going to end up getting. Yeah. And again, he seems like an interesting guy and a sweet guy. Yeah. And his family seems lovely. But and listen, the way the system. Sure. The <laughs> way it's presented if, right, does not true. match up to reality. Yeah, yeah. And so that is that that that's sort of the end of this whole thread of talking about it's who you know, it's the yeah. social media matter, you know, all of that stuff. And it it just it sort of makes me sit here and go, how the hell have I managed to do what I've done? <laughs> um, but part of it is, you know, I didn't know anybody getting in. Yeah. But, but you once, built I, a network? once I got in completely without trying to, I managed to build a network yeah. of people, um, of editors and agents and publishers and people who God help them like me. And so sometimes, so when, when the time comes to write the origin of Thanos, well, let's call Barry. He's a nice guy. He can hit a deadline. When when it's time to write a book about the Flash, let's call Barry. You know, I like to think I can write a really good Flash book, but maybe there's somebody else out there who could write a hundred times better than me, but they're not going to get the chance because they don't know the people I know. They don't know the people, and also, um, and it's also about the brand that you build for yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Sure. So you're the comic book guy. Yeah. Yeah. For better or for worse, um, who, who doesn't get to write comic books? Right. Yeah. But <laughs> Nobody will let me write about... a comic book, but they let me write books about them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think of the op-ed that Jessica Knoll had recently. She's the author of Luckiest Girl Alive, as well as a, a bunch of other books um, about who you know, because yeah. she was a magazine editor in New York. Yep. And she knew exactly who to contact when her book was coming up and coming out, and she and her publicists were crafting plans she knew who all the book editors were at all the lady mags. And and when you say knew them, you don't mean like she knew their names. No, like she, she knew, knew them. them. Yeah, yeah. Personally. Um, and you know what? Good on you for working the system. But yep. yes, that's who you know. And you were able to do that. And then your book, you know, was featured in every women's magazine. Right. And I think, I think and that that's what we were talking about before. Like, we want to think it's all about the art. Right. And, and what bothers me about these situations is not so much that maybe it's not about the art. Like, like, like you said, good for you for gaming the system. Good for you for finding the cheat codes and hacking the code and, and getting it done. But what bothers me is the cynicism it engenders in people yeah. who then see these things and go, oh, the, the, one of two reactions. Either one, oh, it's all crap. It's all yeah. the dice are loaded against everybody. Yeah. Which I don't believe is true. Right. Or two, oh... I'll never stand a chance. Right, exactly. So I'm just going to go self-publish. Because I was that kid. Yeah. I was that kid in a little podunk town in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. who didn't know any writers, didn't know any editors, didn't know anybody, just writing my little stories and firing them off into the void and getting rejection after rejection. And if I had thought, oh, it's all a game and it's all rigged, the deck's been stacked against me, I would have given up a long, long time ago. And I don't... I, I believe there is a lot of untapped genius in the human species, and I don't want it to go unappreciated. Yeah. And that is probably the most uplifting thing I will ever say in my life. That is pretty uplifting. <laughs> Very nice. So, Morgan, you said you just finished Fleischman is in Trouble. I did. Oh, and guys, such it a was good o- book. And it was okay. <laughs> Passable. So... What are you reading now? Have you moved on already? Or are you taking a little break to absorb 
that book and sit with it like a, like a fine cognac before drinking something else. I did text a bunch of friends today and tell them to read it. That doesn't count as reading, but No, okay. it doesn't. But I'm saying that's my like end of a great book process ah, is to then I like see. refer it to I other see. people. Um, I'm reading The Art of Breaking Things by Laura Sibson. You had mentioned that I last time. I had mentioned time. that. Yep. So now I can um, really get into that because I just started and I sort of put it aside to finish Taffy's right. book. Um, so I'm picking that back up. And then also um, for research purposes, I have a bunch of old books that I need to read. Yes. Uh, so I'm doing that right now. Um, when Barry came home this afternoon, he found me on the couch with a stack of Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High books. <laughs> Which I have to say is not outrageously rare. I was going to say, not that that's unusual. <laughs> like, that happens frequently. Yes. Yeah. But it's been a while. I actually yeah, haven't reread them in a while. A while. Um, but there were certain ones that I needed to pick up. Um Again, for for a project I'm working on, and hopefully, right. um, hopefully at some point in the future, I'll be able to talk about it because it will actually become a thing. Yes, yes. So, how about you? Um, I am reading, and this is so strange, but I, there was a book I remembered reading when I was a kid. My my dad was a huge reader, um, and uh, read a lot of thrillers, political thrillers, spy thrillers, mystery novels. So I read a lot of stuff that he had laying around the house, and I remembered a book called Dark Horse which was about um, the, the Republican nominee for president dies of a heart attack three weeks before the election. So the Republican Party figures, well, we can't win, but nobody's willing to step in because they know they won't win. So they find this guy who's like the administrator of the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> and it looks just a political, he's one of the commissioners on the, the political board, and he agrees to run. And it's just this crazy book about this guy running for president who can't possibly win. Um, and so, wait, you read this as a kid? I read this when I was younger. You did? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I remember enjoying it. I remember like two things about it. That's it. And so a few weeks ago, I was like, I kind of want to read that again. So I found an old used copy on online and mm-hmm. I ordered it and I bought it and uh, it came and I started reading it. And, you know, I read this book in like, I don't know, 85, 86, something like that. So I, I had thought that it was contemporary to that mm. time period. This book was published in 1972. Wow. This is a book about politics published less than 10 years after John Kennedy was killed and before Watergate. Wow. So it is really, it is a fascinating time capsule. And it is just amazing to read and to see like what our politics were like in that mm. period. And also what's interesting to me is to read this book and to, to notice the assumptions that the author makes ah. about things that people will understand. Because, of course, yeah. they were writing in, in that time period. Yeah. And, of course, I'm right now working on a book that has portions of it that are, are let, let's just say that the past is very important. And I, and I struggle sometimes with how much of the past should I explain to my mm. reader and how much should I just assume they'll assume pick up, they'll pick up yeah. from context or whatever. So this book inadvertently is, is providing some interesting lessons for me in that mm. regard. It's so funny. I think if you were to write down all the books you've read in the past three years, someone would look at it and be like, what the actual does he read? I your reading list is bizarre. It, I just want to put that out there. It kind of looks like my writing career, to be honest. Yeah, with right. You. No, but like in all honesty. Yeah. When's the last time you picked up a new release? Uh... <laughs> like you know, I'm I'm saying this. It's so interesting. Like I get my. I I I figure out what to read next, yeah. or what to buy, or what to check out from the library based on obviously 
I mean, bestseller lists, new release lists, media coverage in like, you know, The Cut and Refinery29 and whatever. Um, and then also I follow all the publishers on Instagram. So I see all their ads there sure. and, and whatnot. So uh, most of my TBR list is new releases. Yeah. Yours are just literally 50-year-old books, huh? Um, <laughs> I mean, this is one book That's, that is I know, 46 I know, I know. years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure if I sat here, I, if, if I looked back on my bookshelf, I could point out books that I've read that are more recent. The one that comes to mind is The Glitch, which I talked about okay, on the yeah. show last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a new book when I read it. Yeah. Um, I bought the new Philip Pullman, the, the beginning sure. of the new His Dark Materials trilogy, but I feel like I need to reread the old trilogy, and right. I just haven't had the time to do that. Right. Um, I read the Twin Peaks books. Okay. Um, that that you that you kindly bought for me for Valentine's Day two best, years ago. Best Valentine's Day ever. No, it was last year. It was last year. Two Valentine's Days ago. Well, two Valentine's yeah. Days, but a year. <laughs> um, and it's just interesting. It's and, and, so and interesting. Then, and then there's comic books. I read some, I read new yeah. comic books. Um, but I, I will say, and I've said this before on the show, um, I have not had a lot of luck with new books. I don't think you've had a lot of luck with. Old books either, though. There have been a lot of books that no, you've put down recently. No, and that's true. That's true. That I am, you've been like, nope. And and I can't decide if it's that I've just become more demanding as a reader mm. I, or if, if it's that I'm just doing a bad job picking books. Mm. I don't know what it is, but you're right. There was... There was another book from the 80s that I picked up at a yard sale that I was really looking forward to because I, I remembered reading some of this guy's books when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And I got like 50 pages into it. And I was like, good God, this is just the slowest, most... <laughs> boring thing ever and uh so i put that down and yeah that's happened a a few times yeah um anyway it was just an interesting interesting thought um yeah you know because you're you're so up to up to date on pop culture when it comes to comics and movies and tv yeah but like books, you're like, it, it feels like you, and I, I was wondering if it was an intentional choice. Like, are you intentionally, intentionally deciding to not read new releases? It, it did not occur to me until you just book shamed me. <laughs> Hashtag book shaming. Yeah. Yeah. It's a now, new thing. Now I know how Jason Momoa feels. Visit us at writinginreallife.com where you can read show notes for each episode and also leave comments and offer suggestions for the show. Find us on Twitter at WIRL podcast. And be sure to visit us on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.